Hey, Islanders, and welcome to episode 24 of the Camino Voice. On this episode, I speak to the founders and owners of Ananda Farms Camino Island. Please welcome Zach and Haley Abbey. Hi, I'm Brandon Erickson, and you're listening to the Camino Voice podcast, where I interview folks around Camino Island and beyond. If you want to stay up to date on events, businesses, and even hear a little history of this area, subscribe to this podcast and share with your friends. Thanks for listening. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another episode of the Camino Voice, where we release a new episode every Tuesday. Uh, on this episode, I get to speak with Zach and Haley. Now, I actually met them uh, when we were trying to figure out uh, what to do with the farmer's market. So um, a, a gal had been running it for many years before us uh, here on Camano Island. And she, with family and everything else, decided, you know, this has been a lot of work and I need to move on. Um, I'd like to hand this off. And uh, so I, I spoke in, in a previous episode, I talked about talking to Jessica McCready. Um, so I did speak with her, but we were also trying to figure out like we need just one more, either one more person or group of people to really make this thing go. And, uh, and that was our search for another, you know, market managers basically to be on the ground day of. And we talked with Zach and Haley from Ananda Farms. They'd been really involved in the first one. Uh, they were board members of the Stanwood com- or the Stanwood Farmers Market, and they said yes, absolutely, we want to help out. So um, they got involved in the Stanwood Farmers Market, um, or, sorry, the Camino Farmers Market, and really are a huge reason of why that continues on. So uh, on top of that, they are such great people. They are always trying to find ways to uh, become more integrated into the community. They host these great uh, farm-to-table dinners at their farm over uh, at Ananda Farm Kameno. And um, also, anyways, they have lots of um, other things that they are running on a regular basis. So um, anyways, you get to hear the whole history of where they started, which is totally not what you would expect, uh, especially with Zach's career. Uh, and then we move through their journey um, and then eventually starting Ananda Farms Kameno Island and, and how that's continued to grow and what they see as the future. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Zach and Haley Abbey. Hey, Islanders, it's Brandon with Kameno Voice, and today I'm joined by Zach and Haley Abbey. Welcome to the show, guys. Hey, Brandon. Hi, thanks. All right, so before we get started, tell us a little bit about Zach and Haley. Well, we are uh, the farm managers of Ananda Farm on the south end of Kameno Island. All right, very cool. Um, what brought you guys uh, to Kameno? Uh, the farm. We are a part of a larger community who was looking for farmland, and we looked all over the area, but eventually found just the right piece on Kameno. Okay, so then where are you two originally from? Uh, well, we met in San Francisco, and uh, <laughs> so we were part of the California, the Great California Migration up to Washington. For us, it was about eight or nine years ago. But actually, Haley, I should disclose, is from Everett originally. So that's where she grew up. And then uh, after a little tour in California and around there, we uh, were magnetized back to the state of Washington and and Camino Island. All right. And Zach is from St. Louis, Missouri. Okay, so so let's go farther back in the story. (laughs) Starting with you, Zach, 
So you you grew up in Missouri? Yeah, I grew up in St. Louis. I often feel like I got the best of both worlds as I got to live in St. Louis and go to school there. And then all my family on both sides were from the Ozarks in southern Missouri. So I got the quintessential city experience and I got to be in the country. Okay. So I think that was really shaped my whole future, really. Yeah. So then, um, so is that just through high school or did you go to college over there? That was through high school. And then uh, after high school, I went to University of Missouri and then moved to Dublin, Ireland for a while and Philadelphia and San Francisco, all working in corporate finance at the time until I more or less had a quarter life crisis (laughs) and realized I wasn't happy and I needed to figure out what was, what was real in this world and what was going to make me happy. And Eventually, that led to become a farmer. All right. Yeah. So you started in the finance world. That's quite a big jump from where you are now then. Definitely. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So um, like growing up, was finance something that you were really focused on or? Not at all. You know, I think I might be that classic example of the American teenager who has no idea what they want to do and uh, chooses something just for me it was just choosing something practical that I knew I could be secure financially in and that there would be a job that I could maybe buy myself some time to figure it out and so finance was easy for me and I was able to get a good job and it bought me time and enough misery that I really started searching myself until I uh, started finding answers that way. Okay so were you with the same company throughout that time or uh, in Dublin, I worked for a different company, and then when I came back to Philadelphia, it was for, with Liberty Mutual. Oh, okay. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. On the insurance side, or? Yeah, commercial insurance, okay. yeah. Okay. Well, Haven't thought about this in a long time. <laughs> well, it's just completely, I did not expect that at all. <laughs> Most people don't, so I often don't mention it, but I think it can be a good example for people who find themselves doing things that they don't feel called to do that. You know, we do have that power to make the choice to change our lives at any time. Yeah. So. No, that's great. And then Haley, so you, you grew up in Everett? Yeah, in Everett. Okay. So then <clears throat> did you go to college in like this, in this state or did you go to college? I went to college in San Francisco. And so that's why Zach was saying where we met. But um, yeah, grew up in Everett, went to Everett High and then moved down to San Francisco for college. And okay. I, I got my de- degree in philosophy, so farming was a natural progression from there. <laughs> okay. Is, is um, philosophy something that had interested you prior, like throughout your high school time, or was that just one of the gre- degrees that spoke to you? Yeah, not necessarily. It just seemed like at the time it made sense, and I enjoyed studying it. And, um, n- you know, nothing else really appealed to me, but I liked that it was open and broad and kind of asked questions about life and didn't um, force me into any direction since I didn't know what I wanted to do. Yeah. So I guess with philosophy, since it's such a broad and like expanding topic and like um, subject, was there a specific focus that you were in with philosophy? Um, Not necessarily in school. I mean, we studied mostly Western philosophy. It was actually after college, I came across a book that was essentially a whole commentary on Western philosophy and just the way in our culture we are more or less programmed to think or just culturally how we interact and think about the world. And it was offered a commentary that was based on the teachings of yoga. And 
that to me was, it was like the first time something had really spoken truth to me. And so that was a huge moment in my life, reading that book and then now um, being on the path of yoga. Yeah. So how did, like, how far, so had you graduated and everything at that point? Yes. I found this book. um, It's called Out of the Labyrinth, um, probably six to nine months after I graduated college. Did you feel like it was, like, that college had been, like, you'd wish you had known this prior to going in, or...? Um, no, I think the experience of everything was helpful and it wasn't, I had to go through everything I did to be ready when that book came to me. It was like, it was almost like in one book, I had meaningful commentary on everything I'd studied and I could let it all go and move forward. Okay. Very cool. Um, okay. So then, um, so did you guys meet at the university or how did you guys meet then? Uh, we met through mutual friends in the city there. Yeah, and we were, actually, we just became friends and often would just hang out at the parks in San Francisco. And uh, for a while, I actually had to move to Los Angeles before she would start dating me. <laughs> it's funny how that works sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> like, now that it's difficult, now we can now we can move forward. <laughs> yeah. She rode with me down in, in my Jeep to unload in my new apartment. And I thought, maybe there's a chance at that point. <laughs> Very cool. So then you, what did you move down to? Was that with the finance company still? At or? that point, I had I had quit my job. I actually had visited her in Washington when she was here on a break, and we went kayaking in the San Juans. Oh, very and nice. And I remember on the second or third day, just knowing that I I couldn't go back, that it just wasn't, it was almost like I just got released from the idea that I needed to be doing that anymore. And I knew definitively when I went home, I was just going to tell my boss, that I didn't want to do it anymore and I was done. And, you know, it was interesting because I did that and uh, they just assume that you're leaving for another company. And so they want you to leave immediately. And I said, well, you know, I can finish out two weeks or another month because I'm not going to another company, but he didn't believe me. So (laughs) I had to leave that very day. And I had a great feeling when I walked out of there that last time. And I had no idea what I would do from that point. (laughs) It was just that uh, a whole new world of opportunity was opening up. So. Yeah, and that is that when you were living in San Francisco? Right. Okay. Yeah. So you walked out of there, and then what led you to Los Angeles then? Uh, you know, just the classic needing to change the scenery again. And the question that I had been asking myself a lot at that time was, what is real? Isn't there anything real in this world? And it just felt like when I looked around and I saw what my friends were doing and what I was doing, nothing really felt like it had meaning. And so... From so that, naturally you go to Los Angeles. <laughs> I, so, so from that, I just started following just the whims and fancies that came in my life. And one of them was that I had a friend in L.A. And I just wanted to try it out and see. And so uh, I did many different things while I was there. None of them were the answers. And yet they all were part of the process. So Okay. Yeah. So then you, you moved down to L.A. And then you stayed, Haley, you stayed in San Francisco. How much longer were you, were you still finishing college? Or what were you doing during that time? No, I was done with college. And I stayed in San Francisco for probably another six to eight months. And then also moved down to Los Angeles. And we lived there together for about two months. And then we were sent to the mountains. We went on a backpacking trip in the High Sierras and fell in love with the mountains. And every day of this trip, we thought, 
wow, we could live here. We could live here. And it got stronger and stronger every day. And we had remembered we had seen a flyer when we first arrived that the campgrounds were hiring. So at the end of the week, we went back to this little, uh, you know, bulletin board and took down the information from this flyer and went home to L.A., uh, probably like on a Sunday night, applied for jobs online with this campground company. And the next morning had two full-time job offers in the exact area we had just been. And so within two weeks, we had um, found somebody to live in our apartment in our room, uh, bought a tent trailer, and we, yeah, left the city for the high country of and the Sierras. And we became the wow. youngest campground hosts in California state history. <laughs> <laughs> How old were you guys at this time? 22, 23. Wow. Usually most people are retired when they yeah, start campground hosting. So. Yeah, it's just a fun little, like, side hobby to, yeah. But it was ideal for us at the time. And I think just given our experience being in the cities and you know, and really searching for something that going back to nature had so much meaning for us and really shaped our trajectory to become farmers. It was living in nature and, you know, still having community there with people and realizing that we're a part of a great community in the air that we breathe. And we were drinking water from the creeks and, you know, it just really changes the way you look at life when Mm -hmm. it naturalizes again and you feel so much a part of everything. Right. Well, and it, <clears throat> Sorry, it uh, it slows down too. You're you're away from the hustle and bustle. You're away from like deadlines and all these things, and you get to just like like everything doesn't have to be done this very second. Like you get to take your time. You get to breathe. You get to enjoy every step. And um, yeah, no, that's yeah, exactly. A, yeah, huge change though from what you guys both were coming from. <laughs> yeah, in some ways, it felt like we were perfectly prepared for that because the extremes were so extreme that mm-hmm. it re- we were really open to what you were describing, to just being there and appreciating every moment. Yeah. Yeah. So how long were you guys campground hosts for? We did that for the next two seasons. So uh, basically from like May to October, we could get up to the areas that we were at. And we did hosting for one season exclusively. And then the next one, we were able to do even more campground maintenance and travel the high country and paint picnic tables and bathrooms and just do little for little forest service chores basically yeah yeah so then what so if that's your may through october what are you guys doing during the off seasons during this time so after our first season we went to baja for six weeks and lived on a beach and that was uh it felt like almost in a sense even a further removal from just our everyday culture um and then that was our one off season in between seasons. Mm -hmm. We did that for six weeks and then we just really spent time with our families and helped out around home with each of our families and just had space to be with family, space to help and to serve. And I think in that sense, it it felt like we were really born again and, and wanting to serve the people in our lives that we were close to. And that started with our parents definitely, but Mm -hmm. then, you know, everybody who was kind of coming into our life since we had all this space now because we weren't tied to a job and a location, we could go be with the people who needed our help more or less and and just try to help. And, you know, we also tied that into kind of this inspiration that we wanted to become natural farmers. Mm-hmm. And uh, so then everywhere we went, we would just start planting trees and gardens and uh, just really f- on fire to do that and to just grow the life wherever we went yeah Yeah, and during our second season in the mountains we 
just had this feeling really strongly that we're supposed to farm. We're supposed to build the bridge between the world that we are living in of nature and of agriculture. So we were just outside of Fresno, Central Valley of California, where Mm -hmm. there's tons of agriculture. And it was such a stark contrast from being up in in the forest and seeing what it felt like and feeling what it felt like in nature and just this harmony and coexistence of so many things to how we grow food on this planet right now, which is, you know, very controlled, um, somewhat toxic. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I could go on, but I won't. (laughs) But the feeling, especially in both of our hearts, was something's not right, and these two worlds should actually be much closer than they are. And so that was the overwhelming feeling we had is that we need to build a bridge between these two worlds. And so... We just knew we were supposed to start farming, neither one of us having any experience growing food or farming or hardly even gardening. Um, but like Zach said, in the, our first off-season, we started planting trees and just trying it. And But then we knew, well, we need to learn somehow, and so we thought, well, we'll have to find a farm to work at. And one day we were in this campground, and we were painting a bathroom, and our friend, who was the host of that campground, came up to us and said, hey, have you guys met Organic Chris? He said, no, we haven't. And he was like, well, you should come meet Organic Chris. And so we said, okay. So we put our paintbrushes down in plastic and so we could come back to them later and we went and played a game of dominoes with our friend Doug and Organic Chris. <laughs> and Chris looked at us and he had these bright eyes and said, I'm looking for a couple who has a trailer who wants to come and work at my farm. And we thought, perfect, that's us. <laughs> well, you know, as soon as we're done working here, we'll just pull our trailer down the hill and set up on your farm and... That was really our first exposure to hands-on organic gardening, farming. I'm not sure I had seen a kale plant (laughs) before that experience. So it was really uh, an amazing opportunity for us to just get out into the garden at Chris's farm and and just start learning the basics of what it was like to grow food, what kind of commitment it is, and, and just to have that rhythm start become a part of your life. Right. And so when do you know what kind of what year this is? Because is this before organic really took off in the U.S. or is this? We spent time on that farm in 2011. Okay. Yeah. And organic had become um, definitely a wave of consciousness. And Chris's wife, kind of the matriarch of the farm, was actually an organic Mm. certifier in the state of California. Oh, okay. What the interesting thing was is their farm themselves was not certified. And so it really gave us a great perspective, even from the jump, that, you know, organic has its place. And yet now as we're starting to see the biggest providers of organic being Walmart and Costco and the scale of what organic means, uh, it's more important that you know your farmer. It's more important that it's really grown in your neighborhood and that, uh, that the food is grown with love. And if you know the people, then you know that it is than the label itself. Right. So... I think from that, we just always knew we don't even need to call ourselves organic. And even today, people will ask us, are you organic? And our answer is almost always, we're beyond organic. And we really mean that. You know, we know the organic standards and ours are far greater than that. Mm -hmm. Even And I think for us to not even set the bar so low as organic, to know that there's a trajectory that we're going on that's, as people, that's much higher than that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's been something, um, you know, I grew up more... Um, 
less knowledgeable about farming and everything like that, and still am very unknowledgeable in that. But uh, my wife grew up, and her family grew most of their own food. Mm-hmm. Um, they raised a lot of their own meat. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she lived out um, east of Cedrawoli. So she knew, you know, they were surrounded by farmers. And so, you know, most, if they didn't grow it themselves, then they were buying from a farmer's market or from their local, mm-hmm. their neighbors. They knew the farmers. And um, most of the people they bought from, yeah, they weren't certified organic because certification is so expensive. And, mm-hmm. um, but they were like, well, we know how they grow it. Like, we see them every day. And mm-hmm. so um, they knew who they could trust and who did it the way they would buy their food from. Um, and uh, when we got married, um, you know, organic had really taken off and as far as, like, as a, you know, buzzword. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, oh, like, oh, you have to eat organic and that's always more expensive because they always charge more for that and my wife was uh, like from her upbringing when we ran did um, shopping at like the co-op or we did shopping at farmers markets and stuff like that like she's like no it's not actually more expensive to buy local and to eat healthy Mm -hmm. and to even buy whether it's certified or not buy organic goods Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. she's like if you know what you're doing and you like understand it then it you know you're buying in see that was i mean that was a really another thing is like buying in season yeah. i was like that's a big one i what <laughs> like i didn't even i never thought about that growing up we yeah. don't have to when you go to the grocery store and you have every kind of food year round you don't have any connection to the seasons mm-hmm. I, I was the same way <laughs> yeah well and it, yeah and it, you know to me like to, under that, I was like, well, okay, so you get something in season or out of season. Like, there's not, what's the big deal? Like, you can get it either place. Um, but then as we started, you know, I paid more attention to, to the food, you know, as she was making it and stuff like that. Like, when she would make things that were from stuff that was in season, the flavors are so much more full and mm. it's uh, just world's different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I never thought about it before, but after being with her for that you know during that through that i was like oh okay like i can taste a huge difference of in season out of season Mm -hmm. and as things are coming into season you start getting that flavor and then when it's really the tail end you're like well it's still technically you know fresh but it's just it's that tail end of the season so um that was something i was completely ignorant of growing up i think yeah that wisdom has skipped at least one generation if not more but you know that's one of the cool things about being involved with the markets and with the local communities is that that consciousness is still there and it's shifting and especially with young people and a lot of the elders who never gave up on thinking and feeling that truth so i i definitely feel like we're at a great crossroads as people where we can just start choosing that again and that's the choices we've tried to make and you know obviously with all of us working together for the market here at the commons it's mm-hmm. like uh, I think as an island, this is a great opportunity for all of us to keep affirming those that community model as yeah. the solution. Yeah, and I think um, we—I mean—we're very blessed to live in this area that we are. That we mm. are able to grow such a vast mm-hmm. variety mm-hmm. of foods too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, coming from Arizona, there's not quite as many varieties. <laughs> We've got water still. We've got yeah. rain. Yeah. 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 Um, so you guys were working on this farm, and then how long did you guys were you there? You know, not even that long, actually, just a couple months. But it was enough that, you know, just being there with the farmer every day and just mm-hmm. seeing the the rhythm and how how he structured things. And, you know, when was the harvest? When was the 
when you do what, and then the distribution of the produce, just all the practical things that you don't really think about until you're confronted with them. Just to have that experience, it's just, we learned so much in just those two months. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So then where did you go from here then? Well, you know, we had, we were just had this little flame burning inside of us that we were supposed to be farming. And we just, it was kind of like when we knew we were going to move to the mountains, it just was, we knew we were going to farm, but we didn't have any resources of our own or any way to practically do that. And then uh, one day, Haley's mom mentioned to us that her meditation community was uh, raising money to try to buy some land outside of Seattle somewhere and start a farm. And so that was a really interesting thought to us because we had, you know, for a while been just thinking about the integration of the yogic teachings with how you would grow food. And um, I think we almost, we pretty much, it felt like we knew that that would be our trajectory. Mm -hmm. And then gradually we just kind of came up here and met some of the people involved and it felt really good. And we got involved with the search and we were searching for about a year until we landed on the one on Kameno. Okay. Yeah. So then, um, so I know we talked about when Haley, you discovered the, the out of the labyrinth book, what was your kind of journey getting into yoga and stuff? Uh, you know, a lot of it was through Haley actually, because I don't think I wasn't particularly searching for those things. Mm -hmm. I was more open to the people that were coming into my life and the, the experiences that were happening. And there was a lot of those. And yet then there was a book called Autobiography of a Yogi by Paramahansa Yogananda. Okay. And it was an interesting book for me because it was so expansive that I didn't have anywhere to put a lot of the things he was saying, a very spiritual, astral, causal type things. And yet I could tell from the vibration of how it was written that everything in it was true. Mm-hmm. And it just made me realize there's a whole world of opportunity inside of each one of us that uh, I had never heard about or learned about. And I really wanted to know more. And mm-hmm. so that part of that was wanting to learn how to meditate then. And, you know, yoga as a word, we often associated in the West as a, a physical kind of inner exercise practice. Mm-hmm. But yoga as a word means union or oneness. And so the real path of yoga is waking up it's realizing that oneness with all people with all plants with all creation itself and so when we start to we had felt that in nature we had felt that in the mountains and so kind of realizing that there's a whole you know ancient set of teachings that show us and show us the way to experience that inside of ourselves Mm -hmm. i couldn't turn away from that i had to figure out what that was about yeah and so that is kind of the community that we're a part of ananda that's you know, it's a meditation community, and that's the purpose of it. It's self-realization. That's what we're trying to achieve and, and be. Okay, so yeah. then is um, so is the Ananda portion, is the Ananda the meditation group, and then, like, you named it Ananda Farms as a kind of an extension of that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And so Zach referenced the book Autobiography of a Yogi, written by Yogananda, and he was a... Indian yogi who moved to this country in the 1920s when he was in his 20s. And he was, you know, one of the first Indian yogis who moved here and brought the teachings of yoga to the West. Okay. Where we can see yoga is just, you know, on every corner now. It's exploded. Yeah. Yeah. And so he came here bringing those teachings, um, the postures as well as meditation and all the other aspects of um, yoga applied to living 
and then one of his direct disciples, um, and Yogananda eventually settled in Southern California in Los Angeles, one of his direct disciples started the Ananda communities. And that was something Yogananda had talked about. He called them world brotherhood colonies where people had all aspects of life together, where you get together with people who are spiritually like-minded and you find ways to work together, to live together, to meditate together so that your spiritual life can be supported amidst your worldly life, let's say, mm-hmm. where you can you know, have full integration. So that was something Yogananda talked about. And then his disciple Kriyananda, Swami Kriyananda, actually started these communities. Got it. So the okay. first one was in California, outside Nevada City, Grass Valley, and it started in the late 60s. And then in the 80s, more Ananda communities started primarily on the West Coast, um, Palo Alto, Portland, Seattle. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also have communities, uh, have a community in Assisi, Italy, which also started in the 80s. Oh, okay. As wow. well as now a number of... Um, centers and communities in India, which is more recent in the last 15 years or so. Okay. So we're just a part of that. Got it. uh, Okay. Larger family. Yeah. Okay. So then you, so, so then you guys started, once you guys got connected with the group, Mm -hmm. um, you guys did, you found the land on Kameno and then, and then what kind of, how did it uh, transpire from there? Well, we, once we found the land, actually, uh, Haley and I moved there basically by ourselves and we're trying to start it. I was still had a job in Seattle that I had taken just to kind of a, a bookkeeping job and um, trying to just figure out what are we going to do because we really had very little experience farming despite having spent time on the farm and just start tuning into what does this actually mean and we just got right to work and started trying everything we could think of You know, it's interesting because even though we were a part of this community, uh, as many people can attest who've been a part of community projects, what what ends up happening even in a community project is the people with the energy and to make something happen. That's what happens. You know, everyone Mm -hmm. can have their ideas and input, but at the end of the day, it's the people who really are there to do it. Yeah. They have the final say. And so we had a lot of input at the beginning and then just a few of us really went to work and. Uh, Haley and I were out there and just totally committed and on fire to build this thing. And one of the great things that happened for us was that because it was just us, even though we were a part of this greater wave of a, of Ananda and this in, intentional community spirit, we loved Kameno. And we realized that, you know, even if Ananda Farm is a micro version of this, on Kameno we have this macro community where everyone is a yogi, even if they wouldn't call themselves that. Mm -hmm. And it's just a way for us to relate to everybody in the highest sense. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of like how, you know, just coming into Terry's Corner seven years ago and just feeling like, gosh, this place is the community center of Kameno. And that was at a time when there was virtually nothing here. (laughs) I know you remember that. Yeah. And just knowing that like community was going to grow at this Kameno Commons marketplace. And so we, if we can be a part of that, if we can help that to happen too, that's good for everyone. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's always been our mission as much as the farm itself. We want to grow our own food. We want to be a homestead, but we also want that to serve everyone. And we don't want it to feel like some separate entity. It's like, the more that our community consciousness just expands in these bigger and bigger bubbles, Mm -hmm. the more that we all just want to help each other and see the right things happening. And so 
I, I always think like how there really aren't any separations in the community. It's like we have our little communities and then we have our great big ones that is all of our friends. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. So <clears throat> I wish uh, the the Rachel podcast, I was just I'm starting to do show notes on that. So I'm re-listening to it to that. And um, it, it's, it's just fun listening to um, because uh, about getting started with farming mm. because it's very uncommon. Mm. Um, usually uh, farming is a generational thing where you're, it's passed down yeah, or it's yeah. family. Yeah. So to to start that, and especially in this day and age where land, everything is so much more expensive, you know, labor mm. and the tools and the seed, like everything just is expanded in price. So to start, you know, start farming and to get going, it's so much work to get that off the ground. Um, and it's it's not a, you know, it's not at all a <laughs> get rich quick scheme or like <laughs> any sort of get rich for a long long time scheme it's a live well scheme yeah, yeah. no it's, it is it's, it's a it's... redefining wealth scheme yeah yeah no exactly but it's true that it you know it takes a lot of resources even just to get started and like zach was saying we didn't have any and there's no way we could be doing what we're doing now without it being a community project mm -hmm. so it's a beautiful blend of about 25 individuals of an older generation who had resources wanting to put those into something they believed in. And so we had all these people pool money together from our community to buy the farmland. And then we were the younger generation with no resources, but the energy to actually get something going. Mm -hmm. And so it was, you know, a really nice blend of, you know, these two generations coming together to offer yeah. things to create something, you know, more than any one of us on our own could have done. Yeah. So then you guys started what and what year did you guys start it? We started December of 2012 is when we moved to Kameno. Okay. Yeah. So then <clears throat> how did the, walk us through the first year then? So our our first year it was um in a sense really low pressure for us. We just knew we were out there to start trying and learning and we had you know, enough stability from the resources in our community to be able to have the space not to have to, you know, break even our first year or whatever it was. So we just, it was a learning and a growing year and so much fun. I mean, we were out there pretty much most nights with a headlamp, especially since we started in the winter, so there's not that much daylight. And we were just, <laughs> like Zach said, on fire to, to do this. So we pretty much stayed, um, you know, Zach was working part-time, but we didn't leave the farm for a full year, essentially, and just put everything we had into learning and growing the farm. And then it was our, and we started, you know, we would sell things. We had a CSA at our uh, satellite community in Linwood, where we were really the satellite to Linwood. Um, but Ananda has an intentional community at an apartment complex there. And we had gardens at that community as well. And so we had a CSA going, so we helped supplement that. And we would do, we would sell some of our produce and some of the herbal products we were starting to make um, after Sunday service at our temple in Bothell. Okay. Um, I apprenticed that year with a with an herbalist and learned how to uh, learned about some different herbs and how to make products and and then Zach was just learning all kinds of stuff at the farm. We both learned how to graft fruit trees and started just building our own tree nurseries around the farm so that we could get to planting. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think one of the big things was is just trying everything and not being afraid to make mistakes. It's interesting. Farming is like any field where if you 
if you do it too long, you get the experts who who are more focused on what you shouldn't do and what you can't do. And w- one of the great blessings we experienced was because we actually knew very little, we were open to trying everything. And so even if people would tell us, don't do that, that's crazy, we thought, let's just try it and see what happens. And so we've been able to develop our own techniques for growing food that are mostly non-conventional. We don't have a tractor. It's basically a massive garden farm. And so it's integrated vegetables, herbs, and fruit trees over about three acres of those style of gardens. And uh, I think it's, it's a very, become a very unique blend of nature and agriculture where we, we do a lot of seed throwing. Just, I think everybody should walk around and throw seeds sometimes and see, (laughs) and watch and see what happens. And that's been one of my greatest teachers personally is just to throw seeds around and see what happens. And then the other thing is just, you know, simplifying our understanding of what, how, how does nature build healthy soil? Because that becomes such an abstraction to us. We're not connected to the soil, particularly as a culture. So how do we, how do we build good soil again? And as we watch nature, we realized how simple nature is. She doesn't have to do pH tests and (laughs) soil samples and doesn't have to till it. It's like, what is going on? And yet nature has beautiful soil. So we just started using nature's model, which is just to mulch the soil. Every fall, this time of year, when the leaves start to fall from the trees and the organic material returns to the earth, that's the food for all the life in the soil. Mm -hmm. There's no disruption of the soil. It just feeds it from the top down. And so we just started trying that everywhere. Just any organic material we could get our hands on. We just plopped it down and watched what happened. And what we found was that the soil got really good wherever we put down organic material. So we just started throwing seeds and putting organic (laughs) material down anywhere we wanted the soil to get better. And it's been an amazing experience just to watch the changes because nature is super conscious and she knows what to do if we can be in a position to just steward that consciousness a little Mm -hmm. bit. Yeah. Yeah. So then that first year, it was mainly just you two, right, Mm -hmm. on the farm? When did you get your first people that started coming in? And working on the farm? Our, our second year, um, we originally started with a 10-acre piece in one house. And after we were there for six months, the property adjacent to us just to the north went for sale. And so we had um, some money left over from our initial um, fundraising, as well as some new investments that allowed us to add on to the farm in our first year. And so the second wow. year, we had two people, my mom being one of them who still lives at the farm, uh, move into that house and start to um, expand our community. And then little by little, you know, we kind of, it took a few years where there were really just a handful of us um, at the farm doing it. And then especially in the last two years and even the last year, you know, we have 10 full-time people year round and, you know, probably 15 in the summer um, now between three houses with some more actually adding on. We've had four friends buy properties next to or around the farm in the last year. Okay. So the Ananda Farm community is growing. Yeah. Well, that's very cool. So then <clears throat> um, tell me a little bit about the how you guys have your, your model set up as far as, um, like, you know, uh, maybe from a business perspective, mm-hmm. but kind of just, yeah, what's that kind of look like structurally? That's a great question because what Haley was alluding to with uh, kind of the older generation with the resources and the younger generation with the energy, 
I, that it's really a model, I think, for more than just a non-to-farm. I think when we're looking at farmland and the consensus that's starting to build that we need to be putting investments in the young people and back in the land, there's a real great opportunity here for us to kind of form these cooperatives. And even though we aren't legally a cooperative, we're an LLC because that's the way that the money had to be pooled was mm -hmm. as an LLC. It functions as a cooperative. And basically everybody who has put money into it, we use the word investor and yet it's not an investment in the conventional sense of expectations of return. It's an, it means investing in something you really believe in and investing in it because you want it to grow to help everyone else. Mm -hmm. And so that's been a really interesting thing to see is just this opportunity for people to give to this, this greater purpose and then you know, be able to experience the returns of that through the growth of the farm itself and all the kind of outreach it's able to offer. And um, so then for us, for example, we really didn't have many needs when we started it. So we just set the bar for us being there very, very minimum. And so in some ways, I think we generally think of ourselves as renunciates and we basically get a stipend and we just try to meet as many of the basic needs in our life through this simple agrarian model that mm -hmm. we can. And so we really started focusing on growing our own food, canning our own food, making our own medicine, having our own chickens and eggs, having our own goats and milk, making soap, tooth powder, salves, everything that we realized we needed on a day-to-day -day basis. We thought, why can't we as a community just start to make these for ourselves and then all of our friends? And we know that it'll be the best quality because we love it. And so, and it's done on a small scale. And so we just started uh, trying to create all those things. And I even just thought of like Haley's mom, Glenda showed up and she pours candles. And it's just like the more of these things that we can just create as a community, we're focused on that. And that's really become our source of wealth. And so we're able to function if you're on the farm plan, basically with a, a personal stipend to cover your expenses. Mm -hmm. And then you you're able to live there without incurring more expenses to be there as long as you can serve and be a part of that team and then you get to reap all the benefits that that community model entails yeah so it's almost hard to explain in a worldly way because um we always we often joke that we live well below the poverty line <laughs> and we do and yet uh, i think everybody who's who lives there right now would give testimony to how rich we all really are in our friendships and having all the things that we need and meeting all of our needs through this model. Mm -hmm. I think it's a great example just for that. It is possible to choose that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and again, just, just hearkening back, but like coming from the financial world and the, the idea that mm. you were going into that to get financial security and like have enough money to figure out what you want to do. And then, however many years later coming to this point where you're like, I don't, I don't like that's none of that's necessary for what I'm doing and what I want in life. Yeah. I often have reflected on just the lessons I learned from having a bunch of money and how it didn't mean that I was happy mm -hmm. and it didn't mean that I was even rich. Just, you know, I actually was as lost as ever. And now I just feel so rich and I have so little personally speaking, but I found that if I just keep my focus in life on giving and just what can I give, then everything comes to you that you need. Mm -hmm. It's this universal law that's just the way that it works. And yeah. I think, you know, so many people have tuned into that. And I think the farm is just a living example of that. Yeah. yeah. So then you guys have, 
um, you've got the 10 full-timers and then the 15 people that move through. Do you, the, uh, the 15 people or so or whatever, plus or minus, that move through on summer, are those like different people that are part of different Ananda communities that find you guys and they want to do a stint out here? Or how does that work? Oftentimes that is how it works out. We have uh, friends from other communities come up for a couple weeks, for a month, for three months, just depending, you know, individually how it works out. Um, so far, everybody that's come to us has resonated on the level of our spiritual path and that we're, you know, which the essence of that is really we're all trying to work on ourselves and get better and grow in ourselves. And that takes many different forms. Um, but you know, that's the essence of, of our spiritual path is we're trying to go grow inside of ourselves. And so that's, you know, people who come are, you know, wanting that too. And oftentimes it's through the connection of Ananda that these people have, have come to us. Yeah. And I would just say, you know, everybody who's come, it's, we make some personal connection with them that it's, there's no formula, but that it's, it's just almost like life has this flow to it. And then you're out, we go visit somewhere, Palo Alto or Ananda Village or somewhere, and we meet someone and we think they would be a great fit to live at the farm with us for a while, for a long time, whatever it is. But it's more of just a feeling that it's right for this person. And so we've always just kind of operated in that faith that the right people will come to us, even when there were no people. Yeah. We always had this knowing that at some point there mm -hmm. will be people who believe in this also and who can commit themselves to it and enjoy it like we do. And that's just been our experience so far, you know. But we also had to make our mind up really early on that even if nobody showed up, we were going to love this and just do it and do as best as we could, even if it didn't work. And I think that helped us a lot, too, because then people came in, they felt that, that, oh, they really like this and they're yeah. really committed to this. And, uh, and then you come to the farm and the farm has just become a special place because of all the love people have come at different times and given to it. And I just think in that sense, there's no limit to what it can become. Yeah. Yeah. That's very cool. So, um, so then getting, um, more focused on then the Ananda Farms, um, present day, what are kind of all of the different like events and, um, things that you guys have going on? So the farm is really diversified in the things that we do and what we offer. So we do farmer's markets. Um, the last couple of years we've done three farmer's markets. The one, of course, we do here together um, on Kameno, the one in Stanwood, and also the Everett Farmer's Market. We also do a farm stand after our Sunday service at our temple in Bothell every Sunday, which is our longest running market of the year. That starts in about March and we go through Christmas. Oh, okay. And so, um, you know, the produce is light on either end of that <laughs> season, but we have a lot of other products and then we do fun things like we bake bread and pies and just, you know, whatever we can make and produce at the farm, we like to share it. So that's um, really our mission at the markets. And then during the growing season, we, we do uh, farm suppers once a month from June to October. And that's an amazing way to experience the farm is just to be fed by the farmers themselves. And that always in, involves a farm walk, which is a great way to experience. And starting in the spring, we get back into the volunteer days and just get hands-on with everybody and try to do some educational workshops so that we can kind of explore this idea of no-till farming and help people to help feel people empowered that they can grow the food themselves too. Because once you realize how simple it is, I think 
there's there's a lot of incentive for everybody to have their own strawberry patch or pea patch, you know, because it really is not complicated mm-hmm. as it as complicated as we tend to think that it is. So I think trying to fill that role too a little bit where we can empower people and have them visit the farm as often as possible. So we're open every Saturday basically from June to October for our farm store and for just walk-ins and to spend time with people. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Um, and then the the farm dinners then, what are those, how are those structured as far as, um, do you sign up online or? Yeah, those we take prepaid reservations online. Um, we can host about 40 people per supper and, and we do it as a sliding scale. So um, we want them to be accessible to everybody, but it's also a way for the farm to support itself and to fundraise for more projects. So we have a 25 to to $100 scale. So the menu's all the same. We treat everybody exactly the same, um, but it's just individual. What you know, If you can only afford $25 and that's what you can do, then we still want you to come. And if you're able to support and give more, then we leave that option open for people as well. And so, yeah, they always fill up. I mean, every supper this for the last three years has been sold out. Wow. And it's really fun always to see, you know, what group comes together. Because oftentimes there's a, you know, multiple groups within the larger group, but then the larger group itself, it's just like everybody's drawn together for, uh, you know, this one experience. And so we do, it's a vegetarian four to five course meal, all using seasonal produce. And then we also have musical entertainment. We essentially have a full four-part choir that all live at the farm now, as well as some uh, talented uh, instrumentalists. So you get some really nice um, musical entertainment as a part of the dinner, as well as Zach's famous farm tour after dinner. And I just want to put a plug in. We also do some festivals out, out there too. So Lavender Festival was a big one this year. And I think we guessed that over a thousand people ended up coming throughout the day, wow. which for just our little kind of homestead thing, it was a big deal for us. And uh, it was both fun and terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> we realized mid midday when our driveway, everything was filled up with cars and people were still coming in that we got in way over our heads. But uh, Grace has a way of just kicking in and we all had all the energy we needed to just keep on top of it and uh, there was probably 10 or 12 of us there that day just helping out in whatever way we could. And it was ended up being just awesome. We had made a bunch of food. We always like to feed people at our events. And I'd say for the last two hours, all we had to offer to people was kettle corn, <laughs> <laughs> which was good. We had something, but we went through a lot of food that day. <laughs> wow. So did was that like... Um, through the uh, the Ananda communities? Or? <laughs> no. That it was, was just from locals all and... over. We had posted, the only marketing we really did was it was in the Crab Cracker, and mm-hmm. we had posted on Facebook and wow. on our website that we were going to have this Lavender Festival, and people came from all over. That's and crazy. So it was, yeah. it was fun. So that was our third one, I think, and we'll do that one again, as well as we did Apple Festival this year in September, which was a really fun celebration of apples and asian pears and just the harvest do you guys do cider press during that we and, did a big okay. cider press during that and then the other thing that's really fun right now that we're starting to develop partially because we have a um, couple at the farm who's really inspired to work with children is we're um, developing and expanding our offerings for kids 
And so we look forward to doing more with homeschool families and just after school programs and just a way for kids to come out and really experience nature and get their hands in the dirt and grow a little bit of food and learn some animal stewardship. And it's really fun having kids at the farm because they just, it's very natural for them. They just run around and check on all the different animals and it's like they already know what to do. They're just like born natural farmers and (laughs) we just get to unleash them with a little bit of direction and some sing songs and, (laughs) and some fun. Um, so that's something that, um, we're really looking forward to is more and more kids being a part of the farm. Very cool. Um, yeah. Um, and then do you guys have other events that we didn't talk about yet? Well, one thing I would mention is like Haley teaches yoga every Wednesday on the island and we've done meditation groups at the farm. Uh, and then we also teach uh, what we call Raja yoga, which is like royal yoga and it's yoga applied it's philosophy and sadhana and meditation every Thursday at our meditation temple in Bothell. Mm. And we would love to be able to offer that on the island at some point. And so we'll see the right location and timing of that. But the other aspect of what we feel like we can really offer the community here is uh, meditation and yoga. Mm -hmm. And obviously in that, in the complex here, we've got movement arts, which is just an awesome center Mm -hmm. for for the yoga community. And I think as much as we can all be doing these things together, taking the time to slow down and breathe deeply and just get back to our centers, the better everything is going to feel for all of us. So, yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. And we also, we annually do a plant sale like right around Earth Day at the farm. And then every year we host a little holiday Christmas party in the beginning of December. Um, we're doing it two days this year, Friday and Saturday, uh, December 6th and 7th. And that's just a fun, we just have an open house. Uh, we have a gift shop set up um, in one of our houses and we do tours of the farm. We have soup and Christmas cookies and it's just, and then some caroling and um, singing so just a fun festive cozy event you know we've usually had a couple months since the markets have ended and we're ready Mm -hmm. to get a little dose of all our friends in the community so we invited everybody out to the farm to celebrate the season very cool um well that's great i didn't yeah a lot of these um events and festivals and stuff you guys have going on i didn't know you guys did that so uh that's very cool um, that's crazy on the Lavender Festival, too. I just mm-hmm. We just got the numbers in from uh, Chili Chowder Cook-Off, and oh, they nice. had about 1,000 people this wow. year. Wow. So, wow. like, I mean, that's, that's a lot of people. <laughs> you know, and that's it's really interesting because that's something that we're really seeing, even though, you know, we grow food and we make products, and, you know, these are basic things that we all use and we all need, but what people are really looking for is an experience and a mm-hmm. connection. And that's, you know, we realized a few years ago that our events and those type of offerings is really the direction that the farm is growing in because we are looking for meaningful connections and we can use the farm as this universal medium really just to bring people together in friendship and in kindness and in a connection to the earth, which of course we're all a part of nature, even if we, you know, live in buildings and (laughs) try to hide from the rain and all these things. Um, we're actually still a part of nature. And so when we get to deepen our connection to that, we actually feel better. And mm-hmm. so um, one thing we're doing at the farm right now is we're planting future you pick orchards. 
So, you know, this is long rhythm. You know, maybe in five years we'll get to have people come out and start picking, or maybe less, start picking their own fruit. And that, you know, again, we see it in the children. They just naturally, they see an apple on the tree and they're like, I'm supposed to pick this. Yeah. You know, we're not necessarily just supposed to go to the grocery store and pick out the most perfect looking fruit. Yeah. We can actually pick it right off the tree. And so... That's a huge direction for us. Um, continuing into the future is just more ex- hands-on experiences and connections for people at the farm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's great. Um, very cool. Well, I've learned a lot in this this interview um, about you guys' community and about the farm and everything. Thank you. Um, so I like to end every podcast with some rapid-fire questions. Um, so the first one is, do you guys have a lesser-known or favorite location on Kamano Island that you like to hang out? <laughs> Ooh. It's here, Terry's Corner, the Camino <laughs> Commons. Said, he said a lesser known. Oh, a lesser known. Oh, yeah. I missed that. This is the, she gave us away that this oh. is where you can usually well, find that's, us. That's kind of dangerous because then you give away. All I your know. Good I spots. thought about this, but <laughs> the Southenders already know it. But there's a beach down there that we like to, we like to frequent on the west side. We're not sure yeah. if it's public or not, but. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, and we've there's there's actually one location earlier on that was mentioned like two or three times and then when i finally looked it up and found it i was like oh i don't think it's not technically public a lot of the locals go to it so i couldn't actually officially reveal the location yeah we'll just leave it at that (laughs) there's a beach somewhere (laughs) um very cool so uh, pretend you have a friend coming in from out of town that hasn't been here um what would their first day look like here oh well, I guess it would depend on the season, so let's just presume that it's the summer, and we're going to have them waking up in the morning and harvesting, and probably then packing, and then jumping in the farm van with us to come over to the marketplace for the farmer's market. Nice. Yeah, usually when people come visit, we just get them right on the farm team, tell them the way to experience this is going to be to get on farm time with us, and just embrace it, and it's amazing uh, we can have really long days all summer and be, you know, working all day and yet have so much energy and so much fun. Yeah. And so when we can get people to just get on that rhythm with us and whatever we're doing at that time is always uh, through the farm is always the right thing because you just do the seasonal things mm-hmm. when they need to be done. So yeah. you don't really wonder what am I supposed to do today? You just do what the next thing is. And yeah. I really love that part of it. And then yeah. at the end of all of that, we'll probably find a good spot to catch the sunset. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, who is an interesting or fascinating person in this community that I should interview next? Uh, you know, he might be a tough one to track down, but the person that has really inspired me, his name is Otto, and he's on the South End, and he's probably about 90 now, and uh, he's from the old country from Switzerland, has an uh, unbelievable orchard that he opens on the weekends during the growing season called Kameno Fruit Orchard, and... um he is a wealth of information, and his orchard is like a living museum for apple and pear heritage for really the whole world. He's collected varieties from all from over twenty countries and has over wow. one hundred and fifty varieties. So, okay, he would be a great interview, and he's been so positive and supportive to us ever since we met him when we got on the island. Yeah, and I've yeah. seen him in here before buying coffee. So, okay, I think you he's have around. a good chance. Yeah, <laughs> all right, very cool. Um, and then lastly, if you could have a message on a billboard on Camino right as you're driving on the island, what would it say? Love thy neighbor, know thy farmer. Yeah, 
That's good. Good local one. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you, Brandon. This was fun. Thanks, Brandon. All right. And Islanders, I will talk to you on the next one. Well, a big thank you to Zach and Haley for joining me on the podcast today. And thank you for listening. If you haven't already, be sure to go check out Ananda Farms Kameno Island. Uh, they're a little bit down south on the island. Beautiful drive. And uh, check out the farm. See what they're doing down there. And if you want to know more information about this episode or previous episodes, go to KamenoCommons.com slash podcast. That's KamenoCommons.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening and see you next time.